Welcome to the Light Gate. We are coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans in Louisiana at uh, the beautiful UPRN Radio Network, United Public Radio Network at 107.7 FM and the UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. We are on Roku, Facebook, um, we are on uh, YouTube and many others. We have a huge radio audience who cannot always see our beautiful pictures that we present. So we will endeavor to cleverly describe them to you so that you see in your mind what we see on the screen. Tonight, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Dr. Lynn Kitai, and we call her Dr. Lynn. Preston is very excited about this. We've both been excited. Go Preston. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dolly. Thank you everyone for joining us on The Light Gate. I am so excited about our guest tonight. I've been following her research for many years and we will get to her right away. But first, let me tell you that you are watching The Light Gate and I am your host, Preston Dennett. And my lovely co-host is experiencer, Dolly Safran, subject of my book, Symmetry. And yeah, we are so super excited about our guest tonight because she is amazing. And I'm sure you've heard of her. And if you haven't, well, you will tonight because definitely her research is top notch and deserves to be widely known. But first, let's take a quick moment to just welcome all of you to the show. And I wanna say hi to Chico and Renee Cruz and all you other lovely people, Doxy, hello. Hello, Lunar Dove. Thank you for joining us tonight in Synthetic Nature. And hello, hi, it's Alicia. I'm so glad to hear you're looking forward to these shows. We really enjoy doing it. We're really having so much fun talking to all these really interesting and wonderful people. So hello, Brian. Thank you very much. And Scuba Maru. And who else do we have? here tonight, UFOs, gods, and extraterrestrials. Oh, wait, that's another show, isn't it? That's my comment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Um, Louise, thank you for joining us. Very happy that you could join us tonight. And Janice Connett. Yes, Phoenix is a beautiful, beautiful area. I've been there many, many times. We're going to hear quite a bit about it tonight. Hello, Allison. Thank you for joining us. And Ruth Kleiber, we're going to have lots of fun tonight. Scarlet Fire and all you wonderful people. You really warm my heart that you join us here each Monday evening. <laughs> Hello, Rad Peanut. Thank you for being here. And Kim King and Real Badger. Oh, Terry, thank you so much for the super chat. You guys, the donations are super helpful. It does cost us quite a bit to run this show and do all the work behind it. So the donations are truly, truly appreciated. Thank you so much, Terry. So awesome of you. Hello, D. Michael Reese. Yes, we will be talking more about OBEs. I promise I'm gonna put out another book, hopefully this year, it's next in line. So don't worry, it's coming. Sonny Burnett. Hello, Chris Jacobs. Ah, Chris, teen. <laughs> Hello, thank you for being here. Always amazing to see you here. Flat six, and wood rain. Let me see, wood, woo train riders. Okay, DG, 
Got it. <laughs> and let's see, Renee already said hello to you. I'm trying to get to Chapa Reed. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Okay, we better get started. K-M-A-K, Aunt Kaxatic. I think I got that right. Quixotic. <laughs> Thank you, Red Peanut. That is awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Mike, Mike, thanks for being here. CT Guitar Guy. And hello to all the rest of you. But we really do need to get started on our show because our guest has an enormous amount of information. And as Dolly mentioned, her name is Dr. Lynn Kitai, MD. We will call her Dr. Lynn. And we are so happy to welcome her to the light gate tonight on episode 38. Can you believe it? Dr. Lin is an internationally acclaimed physician and health educator for more than 50 years who pushed aside her accomplished medical career to pursue answers for these silent, massive aerial objects, that's plural, witnessed by over, get this, 10,000 people on March 13, 1997, for over a dozen hours and spanning several states. I think this might be the largest viewed UFO incident in modern history since the Fatima Portugal incident. But well, we can ask Lynn about that. At any rate, Lynn has also filmed these UAP called the Phoenix Lights up close and personal prior to, during, and after what has been hailed as the most witnessed, best documented, and most important mass UFO sighting in modern history. <laughs> well, there I am jumping ahead a little bit. Dr. Lynn was chief clinical consultant of the Imaging Prevention Wellness Center at the world-renowned Arizona Heart Institute until coming forward in 2004 after seven years of anonymity and intense research as a key witness to the Phoenix Lights. And besides appearing on literally hundreds of national, international TV shows and radio shows, including Coast to Coast and News Nation, recently on the Tamron Hall Show, you know, on all different networks, Networks, Spotify, CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox TV News, Netflix, iTunes, Comcast, Amazon Prime. I mean, the list goes on. History Channel, Science Channel, Travel Channel, Discovery, and National Geographic channels. Dr. Lynn's fourth edition of her wonderful and super interesting best-selling book, Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone, and also the award-winning Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret documentary, plus the Phoenix Lights graphic novel, Activities Coloring Book, all of which are available on Amazon. So check that out. Also, if you want to learn more about the Phoenix Lights, just go to the www.thephoenixlights.net website. All these links are in the show description. We certainly have a lot to cover, so let's just bring Lynn on. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Lynn. How are you? <laughs> oh, you might be muted. Here, let me unmute you. Let's see. Here. Oh. There you are. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just said hi, Dolly and Preston, and thank you so much for having me. There is so much more to the story that uh, I think you were a little surprised, Preston, at some of the things that uh, I sent to you because um, uh, I have been documenting the Phoenix Lights actually two years prior to the mass site, and we'll get we'll get to that. But um, for anybody that's near 
the website, the Phoenix or near a computer and get on the website, Phoenix Lights Network. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, only 35 millimeter photographs that are available of these UAP, Unexplained Aerial Phenomena, that I captured two years prior, two months prior, during the mass lighting, and subsequently um, have been analyzed and uh, authenticated by military and university optical experts uh, throughout the last 26 years. Actually, we're, we're heading towards our 27th anniversary, um, and we can talk about, uh, I'll, I'll fill you in exactly about the um, mass sighting that happened on March 13th, 1997. Um, but, uh, you know, if we wanted to get into the uh, pictures here. Oh, all right. Because yeah. as you mentioned, Preston, the, um, the mass sighting has become the most witnessed, most documented, most important mass anomalous sighting in, in modern history, if not all of history. And uh, actually, after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing, for two years prior and documenting on film, uh, 35 millimeter and video. It, it took me aback. I had no interest or knowledge in this topic at all. Uh, and then found out that thousands of people saw what I had been documenting and really sent me on a journey. Um, I'll, I'll fill you in uh, with the details because how, how the story unfolds is really fascinating in and of itself. But I ended up pushing my entire medical career, accomplished medical career aside, uh, searching for a logical explanation, which I have yet to find almost <laughs> 27 years later. And what I did discover was so mind-boggling, so credible. Um, I had no idea about this topic. And I started keeping a, an intricate journal the week after the mass sighting and ended up with a 750-page journal seven years later, stayed oh, wow. totally anonymous, wow. other than a handful of people that I was searching to, to explain what, what I had photographed. Um, and uh, here I am today, <laughs> All right. almost 27 years later, with a lot to tell. So so be before we dive in, home. I just have one quick question. You know, As a kid growing up, did you believe in UFOs or did you have any I had no, no, no interest or knowledge at all. I was <laughs> so busy. Um, it's ironic because my life's work actually has been educating others the community worldwide on vital health issues. Since 1976, I started doing wow. health tips at NBC in Philadelphia uh, with uh, Ward Krim and uh, I mean, such a, a stellar uh, group of people and uh, did everything from researching and writing and going out in the field and shooting uh, the uh, uh, the film and then going back and editing. So, uh, and a syndication grew from that actually that they were showing here in uh, Phoenix when we moved here in 1980 and uh, on CBS. And then I also started a, a health program at NBC here and then USA Cable. So I, I've been doing this for many, many years. And when this fell in my lap, again, with no interest or knowledge at all in the topic, um, what do you do with that? <laughs> you know, as an educator of vital health issues, how could I not share this vital issue? And uh, did a lot of soul searching because I did not want to come forward, as we know, and I'm sure you know, Preston, there was uh, much ridicule and snickering and discrediting going on, especially in the 90s. Um, did you want me to start? Can yeah, we... I, let, let me pull it up. Let me see. If, I hope I can do this because I oh, let me just add this to the stage. 
And there we go. Um, I'm, I'm, let me see if I can make this bigger, but I might not be able to because. No, that's okay. That's okay. Whatever you can do. Yeah, I think this is the best we'll way because we'll otherwise, otherwise I won't be able to see you at all. I'll just be. No, that's, a, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, if you want to go to the next slide, that would be all wonderful. Right. Um, because we are celebrating the 27th anniversary of something so extraordinary and touch people so deeply. We'll talk about this later. I mean, this is half my book is about how it affected people in real time and long term. And I'm actually working on a scientific study as we speak um, that, I'll, that I'll get into uh, a little later, which um, is, is just verifying and confirming everything that the witnesses told me and to this day. Um, but if we want to go to the next slide. All right. Good chance to, to let okay. everyone take a hold on. I have to I'm just seeing if my computer will do it the way I want it to, and it's not. So let me pull it up and go to the next slide. There we go. There we go. We'll let people have a have a chance to read that. <laughs> um, this is a little joke that actually uh, came out a couple decades ago, um, and. Like I said, the ridicule and the discrediting of people, it was just rampant in the 90s. And I was so happy that I had stayed anonymous till I did my homework, because again, <laughs> I knew nothing about this topic. Um, but it's not a joke. It's not a joke. And it has come so far since then, needless to say. I mean, not only have I become a spokesperson worldwide for this topic, but now that if certainly the uh, congressional hearings have uh, shared that that UAP mm -hmm. are real and cannot Finally. be explained. The mass sighting is one of the most classic and, and unique and important mass sightings to really confirm to this day that something unusual happened. Um, if we want to go to the next one, actually, it has even entered um, uh, what we would call pop culture. All right. So I play this, actually. It's yeah, a we can play video. that. Here, hold on, let me. Yes, it is. There we go. There we go. Um, can you guys hear that? I'll turn it up. Hold on. Look at you go. Wow, nice catch. 3,000 pounds, 40 miles an hour. It's not easy. Got mad skills. That's all, that's all on YouTube, though, right? I mean, that's where you found that. Because you know that's all fake. It's all done on the computer. I. It's like that video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean like those UFOs over Phoenix? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Even in Spider-Man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And if we go to the next slide, um, I, I'm going to try to share with the audience. And again, if you're near a computer, you can get on the Phoenix Lights Network website. Uh, these pictures of the photo page uh, can help you really get a, a taste of what's going on. This is a view from our home. We live mountainside, very high on the mountain in Paradise Valley and have a panoramic view. We're very blessed with a panoramic view of the city skyline. We're kind of nestled in a, in a mountain range. Um, and, and we look towards the south, towards the airport. So we know what planes look like and helicopters and streetlights and car lights. We're very familiar with all lights. Um, what I wanted to show the audience is number one, there's a car on the road, you can see on the bottom left there, the lights reflect onto the road, which is very unlike the true unknowns, which 
do not reflect at all. They're self-contained. We'll get into that a little more. On the right of that uh, car, you can see a line of lights, which is skylights in a house down the road, which is significant. And in science, we look for repeatability. Right above that, if you go straight up, you will see uh, South Mountain on your left. And a few miles back is the Estrella Mountain Range. Now, I'm going to share a little little uh, trivia with your audience as well. And I don't believe in coincidence anymore. It took me a long time. <laughs> but six months before the mass sighting, <clears throat> I was invited to present. I have a company that produces video and workbook curriculums, health education learning programs on vital health issues like AIDS and teen pregnancy and substance abuse prevention education. And I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention program at the Gila Bend, G-I-L-A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation, um, six months before the mass sighting. They had one school. They don't talk to outsiders, but I got friendly and I helped the principal. And I noticed, and you'll start to notice in the pictures that are forthcoming, that these UAP, these unexplained aerial phenomena, keep popping up right where South Mountain and the Estrays intersect, right? It's like just straight up from where those um, skylights are. And uh, so I thought, you know what? Their very sacred ground is in between, in the basin, in between South Mountain and the Estrays, right in that area. So I called up the principal and I asked him, did anybody see strange lights on March 13th? And he started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And he said, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. I said, wow. it's part of their culture. I had no idea. That was the first I heard of culture. You're probably very familiar with Dolly and Preston, but I had no idea. And <laughs> not only did he say that these orbs, many of them believe in the Hopi have protocols to, to invite them in. They're open to them and, and, and they're, they're joyful when they arrive because they, they feel that they give them comfort and, and, um, knowledge and inspiration. Um, and certainly I've been inspired these words. Um, but he said that that's, you know, they, they feel that some of these are ancestors or spirit world and that the Estrellas, that's how it got its name. It means star in right. Spanish, gateway to the stars. And they also believe in that area that there's a gateway or portal right where South Mountain oh. and Australia's intersect, which is like, whoa, if you look at my pictures and I'll let the audience decide for themselves, I always say that data speaks for itself. Um, and in the scientists, I try to collect as much uh, credible data as I could. Um, you're going to be seeing this over and over again. Anyway, did, did you have any questions up to now? Um, well, so I'm, I'm lining some questions up, but we'll get to them. Okay. Because, a little bit. Okay, I'll, I'll get through it and then I might answer your questions for you because. because <laughs> All right, are you ready for years. the next slide? No, no. Two years before the mass sighting. Don't want to give this away yet. Um, <laughs> again, I, I didn't believe in coincidence at the time. It happened to be my, the eve of my birthday, which is February 6th. My birthday is February 7th. And one wall of our bedroom is a window. The entire wall is a window. So anything that pops up out there, whether it's car lights or street lights or a haboob, you know, one of the dust storms or a fire or whatever, we get to see if we're in the bedroom. I happen to be in a room adjacent to the bedroom. I was taking a leisurely bath and my husband 
was standing by at the window talking to my mother-in-law who called from Philadelphia to wish me a happy birthday. He was on several hospital and state medical boards. Nothing ever ruffled his feathers, but he yelled. He says, Lynn, get over here quick. What the hell is that? And, you know, he was never alone like that. So I grabbed my tail, ringing wet, run to the window. And a little below us, again, we're very high. We're also gated and we're nestled in the mountains. It's a no-fly zone here. And it's treacherous desert landscape uh, underneath these things. I looked underneath to see if anybody was there which would be very unlikely. It's gated and it's really dark and treacherous. And about 50, 75 feet off the desert floor were three amber orbs, one on top and two very closely aligned underneath. And I call them an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained. Wow. And they, right away, I, I thought, geez, I've got to get my video <laughs> And uh, but it was downstairs. And anyone out there that's had a, a UAP experience, a UFO experience, uh, might be able to relate that you don't know how long it's going to last. So I tried to take everything in mentally the size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. They were definitely oval shaped. I always said, that they were like an egg on its side. But now that I hear of the Navy, the Nimitz Navy pilots uh, talking about um, the tic-tac and the oval shape, I don't know if it's a similar phenomena, but nonetheless, they were oval shape. And uh, again, the light did not extend outside the edge and there were three distinct objects very closely aligned. And it was a uniform amber color throughout. Every other light out there glared. These did not very mesmerizing, very soothing. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> if I don't get a camera and document this on film, no one's going to believe it. And I kept a, a cheap Canon Instamatic camera handy in the closet because I collect sunsets. And anybody that's on the photo page, if you go down to the bottom, you'll see two separate sunsets where I caught this massive rod-shaped object. Didn't see it when I was taking the picture of the sunset, but they're in two pictures two months, a, a, a month apart in November and December of 2000. Take a peek. It's amazing. But at any rate, I collect sunsets. I have like six or seven books of sunsets. And I go <laughs> to grab the camera. My husband calls me back. He says, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as I watched in awe, both of us, the top orb, without budging from the other two, started to shrink very, very slowly, mechanically as if there was an intelligent presence behind it. And uh, it, it was just it was just mind boggling. It got smaller and smaller till it was pea size and then disappeared. But it felt like it was still there. Where did it go? Another dimension, perhaps. And, um, and, and you asked me at the beginning, we have two grown sons now. They were just boys at the time. The only movies we ever watched were E.T. and Close Encounters. And we did watch the original Star Trek series with uh, William Shatner. I just did an interview yeah. with him, which was like, the best one anyways. on my bucket list, <laughs> I have to tell you. Um, but the only... I mean, immediately I thought of while they while this was happening was the was the Romulan cloaking device, but that <laughs> wavers and this right. didn't waver at all. It just shrunk mechanically, as if there was an intelligence behind it. I jumped out on the balcony, got a picture of the two lower orbs, and I believe that's the next picture. Okay, moving to the next picture right now. 
Hold on one second. Bonk. There, there we go. There you go. If you see the two lower orbs there, that was the close orbs, the two lower orbs, and immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. And as intently, and I, I really didn't share, I didn't share it with a soul until two years after the mass sighting, but I hesitate to even share it now because as intently as I was watching these two lower orbs, and it was so eerie, there wasn't a sound. It was like time had stopped, but it felt like something was watching me. And going through my mind at that exact moment, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. That's exactly what I thought. Wow. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, just like the top one did. And something told me to take a picture, and I quickly shot a picture of that. That's the next picture. Okay. So that's right here. It's picture seven. There you go. Now you can see, which was miraculous. That was the only one that turned out at the time. There was one half disappeared and one still there, right? But I didn't know who to show it. I knew no one that was into the topic and, and wondered for two years what this advanced technology, it seemed like advanced technology, was doing right outside our bedroom window. My husband and I saw the same thing. I got it on 35 millimeters in the negative. It cannot be fudged or denied. And we're explained to this day. Now, if you go back to the first picture, and I'm mm -hmm. going to get ahead of myself now, because a year after, the, the, I mean, the picture right before this, the picture right. right before this, um, slide six. I'm flying around with diff at different screens, so I'm getting, I'm confusing myself. Is it this there one? There we go. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you. A year after the mass sighting, and if you see our documentary, we actually have footage of this. It was a miraculous, I mean, just an awesome sighting that was 40 miles wide, 20 minutes of straight lines and mirror images. And the final thing was a giant triangle that was, you could see, it was right behind where the, the, the uh, skylights are. But at any rate, when the mass sighting happened, and I found out there were a handful of witnesses who had taken video. Um, I actually hired a professor from ASU, a geology professor, to triangulate those videos. And the first person he went to was Kristen, who caught a boomerang video, which we'll get to, after 10 o'clock. And he came to my house after, and mine are the three endpoints of a giant V or triangle over the city, which we will get to. And I shot mine before 10 o'clock, about a quarter of or so. And he says, wait a minute. He said, Kristen shot his after 10 o'clock and this is a giant boomerang. You shot yours before 10 o'clock and it looks like the endpoints of a giant V or triangle. We could be talking about two different things. It's two different times. We could be talking about multiple situations. He's, he got actually very annoyed. He says, I'm out of here. <laughs> he left. He said, you cannot triangulate these. Okay. So after that sighting in 98, I had alerted. And that's a whole other story. Because um, they appeared through a fog, actually. And I wasn't sure if they came back after the mass sighting. But this was uh, uh, January of 98. 
And I, I had been told by Linda Moulton Howe, actually, who I was one of the people that I met with, who had recommended that I show my pictures to Dr. Bruce McAmey, very acclaimed Navy optical physicist. Yes. So I called him up and I said, you know, I have four pick because I alerted Village Labs that they might be back and they came back with a vengeance. And it happened that all of us were located north, south, east, west. So here I had the same exact thing at the same exact time sighting. Um, and I got in touch with him. I said, would you mind, you know, taking a look at this? And as an afterthought, I sent, and by then I had gone back to the strips of 35 millimeter and found additional pictures, including this one, and a, a negative that's attached to the last picture. The only thing in that negative are the two unknowns. There are no lights at all of the city or skyline, which is bizarre enough. But that's anyway, weird, yeah. I, yeah, I sent <laughs> Dr. McAbee the first and the last picture, this picture and the one I showed you, the last picture, and asked him, could he tell me what this is? He calls me back a couple of weeks later. He said, you say, mentioned that your close sighting in 95 was only a couple of minutes long. I said, right. He says, are you sure? I said, that's what I remember. He said, corroborate with your husband. I said, he won't talk about it. Everybody comes from a different background, from a different upbringing, different belief system. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to, and yeah. that's okay. Everyone in their own time, but now there's data if people choose to look at it. But I said, he won't talk about it. He yeah, said, my family had a hard time with it too. I get that. <laughs> yeah. He got agitated when I brought it up. So I stopped bringing it up. Uh, to me, it was awesome and wondrous. But at any rate, I finally sat him down. And mind you, it's three years later. I said, do you remember how long that close sighting is? We don't have to talk about it. But do you remember how long it was? He says, I don't know, two, three, four minutes. I said, went back to Dr. McAbee. I told him, he said, that's impossible. I said, what do you mean? Now, he was the first one to notice. If you see the arrow on top there with four lights. Right. That's the same exact phenomenon that I would also capture two months before the mass sighting, which we'll get to, and during the mass sighting. They were there in 95, two years before the mass sighting. They're in the negative. Okay? <laughs> and then also... The two lights on the bottom there are on the left side of the skylights. Go to the next picture, please. All right. Hold on one second. Can okay. you see it? Now the two lights are on the right side of the skylights. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And also, if you look at the top, the four lights change to two lights. Okay, so in other words, if you want to speculate, while the close lights were disappearing, so were the far lights. Hmm. And by the way, during the mass sighting, there were a number of witnesses that saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later. Is that what happened here? At any rate, he says to me, but that's not the most significant thing. You can go back to the first one, if you would. He said the most significant thing he found was that the skyline changed he significantly if you look he said there are many more lights and not just single lights groups of lights that are on in the first picture that are off in the last picture if you go back to oh, that he yeah, says i right. want you to do an experiment he says go out on the balcony 
shoot the skyline. And mind you, it's three years later, but go, but get on the balcony, approximately where you were standing in 95 and take the skyline one night every hour, next night every half hour. And I actually did another night every 15 minutes to see when those lights start going out. Now, I usually take a bath between seven and eight when we're home. So let's be conservative and say eight o'clock starting point. Now, if you go back, the first picture and then the last picture, what he did. Now, if we go back to the next picture and we go to slide eight, he meticulously, and we, he did it again, by the way, for uh, National Geographic with better software and found more lights were on in the first picture that were off in the last picture, that it was significantly later when I took the second picture. And he said to me, can I please uh, present this case at the upcoming 1999 MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, uh, International Symposium in Washington, D.C. And I said, Dr. McAbee, this is your baby. I would have never, ever realized this data. Just keep my name out of it. And and luckily, <laughs> the handful of people that knew had these pictures um, were really sweet and never divulged who they came from. And his conclusion, if we want to go to the next slide. All right. Was that it wasn't minutes in between the first picture and last picture, but hours. He Man, estimated Dr. that it was at least 10, 30, 11 o'clock when I took that second picture. So, and I'm just really starting to share this. Actually, I did not even share this in the first edition of my book in 2004 because it's so out there and I just couldn't wrap my, I still can't wrap my head around it. Um, <laughs> what I shared with you is what I remember. and. Uh, the reason that I'm sharing it now, and I shared it in the 2010 edition, it's in its fourth edition now, is that um, I thought, you know what, it, it's data. And if it can move, you know, open the door a little bit, number one, that time, as we know it, linear time is primitive. Past, present, and future is primitive. That time could be a whole milieu of different things. But also, if there are other times and spaces along with ours, then why is it such a leap to think that there couldn't be other intelligent sentient beings in those other times and spaces that we get to see or experience if we're open to it or invited? Well, I have so to really commend you for, you know, talking about that because you have to present all the evidence if you right. want to solve any mysteries you know and not, <laughs> people will censor it out if it's too high strangeness so i get that. well that's why at the beginning it was just too much <laughs> but i figured you know what if it can help in our journey of discovery uh about what's really happening out there and especially interdimensional which I have to say is my take, because I saw it up close and personal, um, you know, then it's it's out there and people can decide for themselves. Now. May I pause it? something to you? Um, craft, as they're coming down within 3,000 feet, mostly between 1,000 feet in the ground, if their emitters are pointing toward the ground, they'll knock out all the electricity below them. And if they're above something and you see electricity out above the craft, that's because that craft's emitters have just EMP'd the ground. Uh -huh. Well, it was <clears throat> two it years. It happened very, very fast. Yeah. Oh, so. okay. 
Well, I have to tell you, when I went out on the balcony to yeah. shoot the first two, it was if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. Just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, to this day, I still, you know, can feel it. <laughs> At any rate, two years passed mm -hmm. without any hint of anything in the sky remotely similar right. to what I had seen up close and personal right. until you there. Can yeah, you hear yep, me? We're here. Yep, yep, yep. I'm listening. Until two, two months before the mass sighting, January 22nd, 97, I'm lying in bed. And again, if anything pops up out there, you know, we get to see out of that big window. And I notice far north are three huge amber orbs at a distance, right. just hovering there. And I'm watching them and I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're amber, they're huge balls of light. They're in an equidistant line formation for minutes, strangely similar to 95. And I watched as they imploded, it seemed, from right to left and were gone. Mentioned it to my husband. He says to me, do I still have to go to work tomorrow? Was his <laughs> but at any rate, the next night, he was in a medical board meeting. I come upstairs and I notice, this is January 23rd, I notice the same three giant orbs in a line are now in front of South Mountain. And I knew they were in front of South Mountain because there's red blinking lights on top of the mountain to alert aircraft that are coming into Sky Harbor International Airport that's just in front of the mountain, south of us. And I thought, okay, enough. I'm getting my video camera. I ran downstairs, grabbed my camera, <laughs> go outside. Got about 18 seconds worth, the battery goes dead and it was charged. Okay, just like you were saying. <laughs> exactly right. They, they had emitters right at you. They're about to knock all your power out, and they won't let you take pictures after a certain point. Well, well, so they happened. know about you. I'm, I happened. keep getting this yeah. feeling, yeah. Lynn, that you were in yeah, some way lost. chosen for all this. Well, whatever. I, you know, <laughs> again, as a scientist, I was so curious. And I just wanted to document it. So I run inside. I, I plug it in. Plug the uh, video camera, and I go outside. They're gone. It's about eight o'clock. About eight thirty. I hear my husband come up the drive and we're pretty high up here. And I go outside and I said, honey, remember I told you about the three huge amber orbs far north in an equidistant line last last night? About a half an hour ago, they were right in front of South Mountain. As I'm pointing, they reappear in the same spot. And it was like, whoa, I've got to get That's a picture. Of Again, well, I'm going to go on to the next picture in a second. All right. I'm, and I'm ready whenever you not are. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> and um, and I grabbed my my uh, 35 millimeter. Thankfully, again, I don't believe in coincidence because in in video it doesn't do the lights justice. They're much smaller. They're white. They flicker and could be mistaken for other things. But on 35 millimeter, they're amber and they're there. <laughs> Explain. Anyway, I get out on the balcony just as I'm ready to shoot the three. Suddenly. Six lights, massive span, over a mile wide, pop on above the three, if you want to show that next picture. All right. There we go. Now, I started to shake. That's why it's wavy. <laughs> because not having an explanation for 95, here is this massive, massive formation of lights. And the first thought in my head was, Oh my goodness, is that a, a mothership or a fleet? I mean, it was really. No, it's four ships. I mean, just, four different ships. Well, it was just incredible, right? Yeah. But 
thank goodness I kept my wits about me. Mind you, this is two months before the mass sighting. And How as I'm it? clicking away, if you want to go to the next one. All right, hold on. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I, I said this on the Tamron Hall show and anybody that gets on the Phoenix Lights uh, Network website or even on uh, Facebook, Phoenix Lights Network page, you'll see the Tamron Hall uh, interview, which was which was pretty cool. And I said that this is a smoking gun. Why? Because two months later, and she didn't give me a chance to say this, but two months later, that's what thousands of people would describe during yeah. the mass sighting as five lights in a V with two trailing lights. Yeah. There you go. This is two months before the mass sighting. As, and you can see it's like a V, right? With the mm -hmm. center light and then the two on each side. The center light is brighter than the two on each side. And then if you go to the next one, as the lights are disappearing underneath, Hold on, let me, there we go. Okay, it looks like the top formation that I was catching head on is now turning into a V, okay? Can you see the, the most bright one is now on the right there? Okay, oh, and I then see. the last picture, after the bottom one disappears. Oh, you wanna to go to the next slide? Is it next one? Yes, please. All right. Oh, there you go. And this has all been analyzed, by the way, by optical, by military and university optical experts. If you look at that, every other light is larger than the one in between. So you can speculate that whether it's transparent or whatever, if you're looking at the, a V, okay, yeah, a V like this, that the bigger lights are the closer arm. And in between, you're looking at the far away arm that have smaller lights, okay? Be that as it may, it was so unnerving that I ran in, picked up the paper and called the Arizona Republic and said, you've got to get somebody out there quick. They're disappearing and get a cameraman out there, get a picture or whatever, and just tell me what it is. When I finished my sentence, they were gone. Hmm. Not sleep well that night. <laughs> and I woke up in the morning and I figured, look, there must be a logical explanation. I called the Arizona Republic again. And I said, did anybody call last night to um, report any strange lights in front of South Mountain? She gets off, she gets right back on. She said, nope, nobody called. Well, I know I called. So I said, well, my husband and I did see something strange. I uh, even got pictures of it. I'm just trying to find out. I'm sure there's a logical explanation um, what that might be. She says, well, sometimes Luke Air Force Base sends external maneuvers out and doesn't tell the public about it. And I figured, sounds reasonable. Call Luke Air Force Base. And I tried to be very professional. I said, my husband and I are both physicians. We live mountainside in Paradise Valley. And we saw some strange lights appear in front of South Mountain last night. Could you tell me what they might have been? And from the get-go, she had an attitude. And she said, well, they didn't come in from here and they didn't come out from here. So we had nothing to do with them. I said, be that as it may, we can see something strange. Um, <laughs> how can I find out what they might have been? She says, well, you said it was near the airport, so why don't you call them up? Now it was a mission, which was very much unlike me. <laughs> I to find a logical explanation. So I get the FAA on the phone, told with, you know, again, we're both physicians, we're mountainside. She said, she was really sweet. And she says, you know what? Maybe one of the air traffic controllers saw something last night. Um, why don't I, you know, I said, would you mind asking them? She leaves me on forever. Um, she get you can you can go back to us if you want. Um, she comes back on, 
She says, actually, there was a group that was here last night that did see some unusual lights appear over Class B restricted airspace. There's a 30 mile radius around the center of the airport. Anyone that comes into that radius, particularly it was close, okay, it was like five miles away or whatever, to the tower must call and it was a thousand feet altitude. I said, please, please, can I please speak to one of the air traffic controllers? She said there were a couple there this, the next morning that were there the night before and waited forever <laughs> until somebody finally got on. And the guy I met afterwards, and he was um, actually a very, you know, soft-spoken guy. He was more excited than I was. He said, did you see this with this lights cover uh, information last night about 8.30? I said, yes, that's why I'm calling. He said, actually, there were, there were three at 8 o'clock. I said, I saw those too. He said, when they showed up at 8 o'clock over the tarmac, they looked on radar, didn't show up on radar, and they got really nervous, but they disappeared. When they popped up again at 8.30, the six of them, they got really nervous and they looked on radar, did not show up on radar. They got the high powered binoculars to look. And in their own words, he said, there were six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide that seemed to be attached to something. But they couldn't quite see what these lights were attached to or had a force field in between holding them in rock formation. And he said, um, and he was a meteorologist, by the way, and climatologist had taught at one of the colleges here. And he said that the entire thing, another little coincidence, because this is great info, the entire thing turned as a unit against the wind, against the wind, that's very telling, elevated slowly and moved in synchrony behind South Mountain. So I said, so what was it? And there was silence. And then he said, beats me. I said, you're an air traffic controller. You're supposed to know what's in our airspace. He said that the whole group, with a big discussion the night before, ruled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, Chinese lanterns, flares, even skydivers with lights. <laughs> they couldn't come up with anything. And we kept in contact. And I continued photographing these orbs in rock-solid formation up into and including March 13th. We finally get to March 13th, <laughs> 1997. Um, do you have any questions before I get into the mass sighting? No, but I'm dying to tell you something. I'm either <laughs> going to tell you now or after the show because I know okay. what they are. I absolutely okay. know photographs. Uh, okay. Film. There's a lot more to this story. A lot more to this story. So okay. anyway, on March 13th, which was just another night for me, right? Yeah. Um, I had my cameras in the corner. I need to go because I was going, running out every night. I mean, it was getting another little tidbit. Um, a week before the mass sighting, uh, my husband was getting a little annoyed with me because every time I, you know, we had a discussion, we'd in bed, whatever. And I noticed them out of the corner of my eye. Again, the scientists, we just had to go and document them. And I thought, okay, okay, enough. I've got to find out what these are. So I started asking around. And showing my picture to some pictures and uh, video, actually, to, to some of my friends. And this is how close I was, guys. A friend of a friend had a neighbor who had a friend who knew the past president of Wuhan. And at the time, I had no idea. I never heard of it before. And I called him up, told him that I was seeing these lights. And he hadn't heard about it. But 
there were others that were seeing them and documenting them on film, just like myself. In fact, uh, Steve Blonder called MUFON up to his balcony the night of the mass sighting, and they captured an arrowhead of five lights, again, before 10 o'clock. Um, but, but at any rate, on March 13th, so, so he says, let me refer you to a field investigator. Um, and I told him that I had a picture I'd like authenticated, the last one was the only one that turned out at the time, um, and somebody to tell me what it was. And he refers me to a field investigator for the following Wednesday, who calls me on Tuesday because this then state director wanted to attend, and his mom had passed on Saturday, and he asked if he could postpone it because the funeral was on Wednesday. The only opportunity I had for another two, three weeks was Friday morning. He said, fine. Knock on his door, 10 o'clock in the morning. He opens the door. The first thing he says to me is, did you see the mass sighting last night? It was like, whoa, <laughs> that's the first I've heard of it. Um, to me, it was just another night. I said, um, you know, it, it was very similar to what I saw two months ago. In fact, I called the air traffic controllers that I had been in communication with to confirm that, and they did. It was the same exact phenomena over the same exact location, a thousand feet altitude over class B restricted airspace. And they there were a couple of pilots that called in a commercial airline pilot on departure who called in and said, what the hell are these lights over me? It's right over the tarmac. And a private pilot didn't say his name, but we'll get to that a little later. A private <laughs> pilot on close approach. At any rate, um, he says NBC was coming to interview him in a half an hour. I said, whoa. I said, I don't know what we're dealing with here. <laughs> if it's a hoax or if it's military or whatever, but it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's about the data. I said, you know what? I took video last night. There were six lights that appeared by the time I got out there with my camera. So we had disappeared, I guess it turned or something like it did in you know, two months before. And I got the endpoints of a, of a giant V or triangle over a mile wide. Um, take a copy, share it with whoever, I'm out of here. And I left. Now, I didn't know if the news was gonna show it at all. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, but I was sat in front of my TV with a VCR ready and starting at the four o'clock news, you know how they do breaking news now? <laughs> my video was on every news station. <laughs> we gave it to everyone. And it was like, whoa. I mean, it was exciting. I have to admit, because sure, now people yeah. are seeing what we saw. I didn't know what it was, but let them take a look, right? By nine o'clock, a couple other videos, including the boomerang, which was spectacular. It was like, oh my goodness, what the heck is that? Showed up. Okay. And again, that was after 10 o'clock that he took that, which is meaningful as we'll get to. Um, but at any rate, it was like, whoa, this was mind boggling. Now, hundreds, if not thousands of people statewide had seen what I had been documenting for two years. I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know what to do. In fact, if we go to I believe the next um, the next yeah, slide slide is actually taken off the um, video itself. Yeah, there you go. That's a screenshot of the video. And like I said, it's white <laughs> because it turns out white video. Um, but that's my that's my video. That's just a screenshot of my video. But at any rate, then I learned. OK, let's get into the March 13th. On March 13, 1997, while thousands of people were outside purposely looking up at the sky at the Hale-Bopp Comet, they also got a glimpse 
of mile and according to Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, one of these objects from all the data that he has collected over, you know, 25 years, 26 years, was eight miles wide. Think about that one. <laughs> one to eight miles wide. And also, one of the other reasons I came forward is not only as a physician to let people know they're not crazy, okay, even though most anomalies can be explained, only a small percentage cannot, but just because we can't, don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. It may be maybe looking on the AM dial for an FM frequency. That's why it's so important to get this topic out in the open and address it and accept it and study it. So we can find out not only who's driving these things, but also move forward in our own evolution. But at this point, also as, as a scientist, I mean, it was like mind boggling. What do you what do you do with this? And on March 13th, here are thousands of people saw these gliding right over their heads at rooftop level, totally silent. Either these orbs that seem to be attached to something or actual craft. Now, number one, and there's so much missing disinformation. That was the other reason. As an educator, I had, a, I had, how could I keep this in a drawer? It wasn't just one or two events as you would hear in the media. Yes, I get it. The media picked the eight to 10 time period because that's when most people were outside looking up at the sky at the Hellbot Comet and reported it. But the mass sighting on March 13th actually started at 3 p.m. in the afternoon with daylight sightings in Arizona. Five o'clock hour, they were seen and reported by Native Americans in New Mexico. Five o'clock oh, hour, yeah. seven o'clock hour, that was a five o'clock hour, seven o'clock hour and beyond in California. The 10, 11 o'clock hour, there were two commercial airline pilots. I have the whole story in my, in my book. She took her years, one of the pilots, to get in touch with me. She was so frightened to even tell anyone that she was flying from Phoenix to California. And as she was approaching Las Vegas, one of the craft, now that's the other thing. If you go on the GAP page, GAP, Geospatial Animation Project, we're going to get to that in a minute on the Phoenix Lights Network website. And all you need to do is just Google Phoenix Lights Network, it usually comes up first, and go to the GAP page, Geospatial Animation Project. There's a 12-year study of hundreds and hundreds of reports. Two or more people had to see the same craft to be in the study. And as you'll see, and we're gonna go over that, there were 10 different craft, whether it was one craft that could morph and look different, or the perspective from where the person was standing, or a parade. And here she's calling in to the tower, to the to the radar, because one of these craft covered Las Vegas. And she calls radar to find out if they're pinging anything. Almost simultaneously, another pilot calls in, a commercial airline pilot, she said, what is in front of me? There's something in front of me that is massive. Then a very authoritative voice comes on or the speaker and starts asking them questions and freaked her out. And she says, uh, you know what? I, I think we were mistaken. And she goes flying on onward to California. They're approaching <laughs> California, 30,000 feet, okay, up in the air with 140 passengers and uh, uh, pilots and et cetera. Suddenly there's a flare, okay, about a half mile away, and which was very unusual, 30,000 feet. And almost simultaneously, moments later, a military jet coming in the opposite direction of them whizzed by them with afterburners on and freaked her out. She said she almost jumped out of her seat. And she immediately called her husband and said, don't answer the phone. 
<laughs> and it took her years to tell me this. I mean, it just, you know, when you hear the story, it's like, hmm, um, what does that mean? But at any rate, the sightings continued. Now at 3 a.m., there was a call and we have part of the recording in our documentary so people can hear it firsthand. Very professional, recorded from the National UFO Reporting Center, Peter Davenport, from an alleged crewman from Luke Air Force Base. The call to report that there were military jets sent from Luke Air Force Base to intercept one of these massive craft, mile-wide craft, hovering right over 7th Avenue in Indian School, Central Phoenix. And as they got close, the lights dimmed, and then we have civilians that saw this, by the way. The lights dimmed, and then the entire craft blinked out and disappeared, freaking out one of the pilots that he said he helped out of his uh, aircraft. He was so shaken up by it, and the Luke went on lockdown after that. And I have to tell oh, you yeah, that yeah. just a couple of years ago, after 20 years, uh, I, I got a message, an email from the weather person that was on that night who confirmed a lot of this stuff. And she went out and saw it herself because she was getting so many calls and Luke actually uh, denied they got any calls. But there were people that got the number of yeah. the National York Reporting <laughs> Center from Luke Air Force. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Caught in anyway. contradictions. Yeah. No, there's there's so much of this story. So the, the, the sighting continued, by the way, till 5.30 the next morning. I was actually flying to LA to interview for Dateline. They were doing the, the 10 uh, most important mass sightings and the Phoenix Lights was number one, by the way. And I was finishing up the second edition of my book that came out in 2010. And, and I was sitting there with a family around me and an older gentleman was sitting next to me. He looks over, he says, oh, I saw those. And I said, you did? He says, he was the head of a Boeing crew coming into wow. Sky Harbor Airport at 5.30 the next morning. And one of these mile wide crafts was hovering over the tarmac. I asked him, of course, if he would come forward, but he was still working. So, but that's the last one I know of. So we're talking not only over a dozen hours, but over at least four states. And in our study now, we're finding out that people also saw it during March 13th in Texas, Utah, and Colorado. So, I mean, this is, you know, talk about a parade. And that's ultimately what the investigators um, uh, actually uh, concluded. And if you want to go to the next slide, you'll see. All right. Um, but before we do, I just need to take a quick <laughs> station ID break because we are at the top of the hour. So I want to let everyone know you are watching The Light Gate. I'm your host, Preston Dennett. My lovely co-host is Dolly Safran. Our amazing guest tonight is Dr. Lynn Kitai. And we are so excited to be talking about the Phoenix Lights and all the things surrounding it that most people, I don't think, are aware of. Um, and you are we are streaming live on United Public Radio Network. 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans in Louisiana. Also the UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. We are very grateful to them. Also, we are streaming on YouTube and Facebook and Roku. So thank you all for joining us. We're now starting our second hour with Dr. Lynn. She's got a lot more to share. I hope we can get through it all. But I would like to pop up a few questions now before it gets too late, if that's all right. Just, just a couple. Um, that, sure, sure. And I'll, you know, um, I'll be telling how the story unfolds, 
um, which is fascinating in itself. But give me give yeah. me a heads up when we have 15 minutes left. <laughs> All right. But uh, here's a question from Dawn Curtis, and she's asking... Dr. Lynn, do you think each light was a separate ship or all part of a mothership? That's a great question. To this day, we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a wonderful <laughs> mystery. Um, but, you know, like I said, some people and what people, what people saw was mind boggling because people that saw a ship actually saw gunmetal on the bottom. Um, in fact, if you go to the GAP page, Geospatial Animation Project on the uh, Phoenix Lights Network website, you'll see an animation of, um, which is pretty, I mean, besides the illustrations I'm going to show you now uh, in a couple minutes, but uh, they, they had like indentations at the bottom. And, and there's a wonderful illustration at the bottom of uh, a witness that saw the craft. And there was others that described the same thing. Um, Couple of Prescott hours. <laughs> um, but anyway, they saw a craft. We have um, a couple of uh, uh, realtors who were extremely bright. They were in Mensa and, and just really wonderful people that were out in a in carefree where they had stakes in the ground. And they actually measured because it was so low, we're talking rooftop level, um, that they measured over two miles, this craft that they saw. They also saw windows with beings at the windows looking at them as intently as they were looking at the big. So, you know, wow. <laughs> we have yeah, all of the above. And then other people to... just saw these orbs, you know, yeah. other people just saw these orbs that seemed to be attached to something and kind of saw through them, like it like it was like water, like, you know, looking through water um, and, you know, couldn't quite see the stars through them. So there was something there. There was something there, um, whether it was a forest field or whatever. So, um, and again, many people, a number of people saw these orbs detach, go out of the environment and reduct it. So, you know, to answer your question, <laughs> still questioning. Um, and I would love to know myself, but but again, maybe it was things. All right. Yeah. Well, we've got, I know you have a lot more to share. So let me just pop up one or two more questions and then we can move on. But this is an important one which you may already be getting to at some point, but Synthetic Nature is asking about the flares. He's asking, I was under the impression- I'll get that to that. I will get to that. Okay, I, I will get so. to that. Let's <laughs> put that on hold. All right. I, I had a feeling. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to just get back to your presentation now because there's other questions, but gosh, you have so much to share. Let me just give a, a shout out to Dr. D. Michael Reese, thank you for the super sticker donation and to Doxy, you guys, it's truly appreciated. But let's get back to your presentation and let's see. You wanted the next slide, right? No. Yes, please. This one? Okay, yes. Um, this is part of the geospatial animation project. This just gives you an example of what was happening between 8 and 9 p.m. <laughs> wow. There were multiple things happening, and we can go through this fairly quickly, and then I'll get to the rest of the story. But I just wanted to show you guys some of the craft, and this is, like, mind-boggling, because it does look different. They do look different, if you want to go to the next one. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, this one actually was the v-shape that most people saw and and was there for the longest time so um that's that's one of them the next one please okay 
Okay. Um, this one was the one that the uh, military <laughs> tried to intercept uh, over 7th Avenue in Indian School. And, uh, and again, we have uh, witnesses that saw the jets take off and, and head toward this craft. Next one. All right. I think I'm probably getting the handle of this. Okay, now go. this one caught my attention when I saw it, and I had no idea what they were going to come up with. But as I said, there some of them are very different, and this particular one, by the time I saw this, and I did so much, I pushed my whole medical career aside for seven years searching for a logical explanation, kept an intricate journal every single day of everything, of media reports, of, of interviews I had with witnesses, of, uh, you know, information, credible information that I was finding. And one of the things I found on the internet was a video that someone took a month before our mass sighting in February of 97 in St. Petersburg, Russia. They had a mass sighting there a month before ours. And there were air traffic controllers actually that were on the show sightings that described it. They also was over there at Tarmac. And this is what it looked like. And I don't know if you can see each light has three lights which blew yeah. me away because the video, you can see it clearly, each light is three lights. So, you know, this has been worldwide. <laughs> and it was a month before our mass sighting that they saw it in St. Petersburg, Russia. Next. Amazing. And they're much more open. That was another thing. I had no idea that other countries were much more open to these phenomena uh, than we are. So said, and if you talk about the history, I mean, it's mind boggling uh, that in itself, if we have time. Um, but anyway, here's another one that actually went in front of the moon. And we have witnesses that said that it was translucent. The next one. Okay. Okay. Hold on one second. There we go. Okay. Here we have a triangle, a black triangle. And uh, it was traveling along uh, one of the most populated corridors in Arizona between Phoenix and Tucson. And we have actually one of the wonderful collaborators with me on our study, our scientific Phoenix Lights Experiencer study that we are just finishing up. It'll be out there soon. It's mind boggling. Um, actually was coming up from Tucson to Phoenix with his family, his wife, his daughter, and a friend of hers for a swim meet. And this craft was right above them. He said that the arms of this craft, and I, and it's really described well in the book. Um, he sent a whole report to uh, Village Labs, which was the clearinghouse locally for uh, the reports. The, the arms of this thing extended way over into the fields of this big highway. And he really got a great look at it. And um, a little later, we'll talk about someone that also saw it that had the same experience. Nobody talked about it. And there were a number of other people. It affected people very differently sometimes. Um, but we'll get to how it affected people in a, in a minute. But uh, they never didn't talk about it and saw something on TV six months later and said, whoa, we saw something similar to that. <laughs> like, you know, it was like a, a, a burst of, of, of light for them. Next one. All right. So some people had just had the memory. Okay, now here, and there's a lot more. There's there's 10 altogether. Um, there's also one that split and shot straight up, and that was going towards uh, Mesa, the East Valley. Um, and then a little later, somebody else saw it uh, near uh, Picacho Peak actually uh, come together and, and merge. 
you know, technology it was incredible. Um, some people saw it take off at blink speed without even dispersing the air. It's totally silent. Um, and, you know, we're talking about such technology. And then uh, there was actually a, um, a pilot and his son who saw a disc as well. And there were other people as well. Anyway, as the story unfolded, which was really amazing, there was no investigation. Don't, don't change anything yet. There was no investigation, no explanation. It was just uncanny. I mean, uh, when government was, was asked what something happened on March 13th, it was like, are you kidding me? This is like a safety, public safety issue. It was so low. Nobody was saying anything until Francis Barwood, and you can change to the, uh, to the next slide, please. Councilwoman, Phoenix Councilwoman and Vice Mayor, Francis Barwood, bless her, um, asked very innocently. A true hero. A, pardon me? She's a true hero in this. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wait, a, wait, okay. Um, asked innocently in a council meeting in May, this is months later, because she got so many calls from her constituents. She was doing her job. She didn't see it, but she got over a thousand calls. She returned like 700 calls asked innocently for an investigation and she was plastered to the wall. I mean, they made such fun of her um, with little cartoons in the paper. I mean, it just was awful what happened to people that, that came forward. And actually I called her because she thought the police said that they didn't get any calls, right? And we actually have a 911 Phoenix police operator in our documentary that tells all after she retired, she's fabulous. but. I saw a very quick um, uh, report. One of the Fox reporters saw one of these craft and he was trying to get to the bottom of it. And he interviewed one of the heads of the police department who said they did get a lot of calls. So I called her to tell her that and also, you know, that I had photographed these things. And she really was. She, she was my hero because she got it out there. But everybody was scared to come forward when they saw what happened to her. Um, it was just awful. And then a few months passed and we're talking June 18th for whatever reason. And you can go to the next slide, please. All right. Hold on. My computer seems to be suddenly acting up. Can you see it? Hold, hold on. I'm going to have to stop sharing for just a second. My computer is being weird. Um, Must be the beans. <laughs> but I, I would know. think they want this story told. Okay, there we go. Should be able to see it now. Nope. Okay, hold on. Let me get back to the... I, I got pulled off. My, my buttons were not responding, so let me just pull it up real quick, and I will get it back on. I don't see it in queue yet. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. So sorry. There it is. Well, on, on June 18th, for whatever reason, suddenly there was a front page article in USA Today. There you go. With a multi-page article inside. I mean, it was just like, whoa, finally, finally, people outside of Arizona were hearing about the Phoenix Lights, the Arizona mass sighting for the very first time. Because they really kept a lid on it, I have to tell you. And we did not have social media at that time. I mean, this was uh, July 
July, I'm sorry, June 18th, 1997. Overnight, it went viral. The next morning when I got, I was on every national news station, morning shows, Dan Rather, uh, Peter Jennings, you name it, it was on it. Suddenly, late morning, we get an announcement from uh, a public announcement that our Former Governor Fife Symington was holding an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's the first time anybody was saying anything Sorry, to divulge to the culprit of the lights over Phoenix. And we took him quite seriously. And what does he do? Next slide, please. All right. And there were parents there. There were reporters. He brings out one of his aides with a giant, this giant alien head costume and made a mockery of it. A joke out of it. Yeah, I saw that. I was so mad. <laughs> people, especially parents that were with kids that saw something that was two and three moles wide, and he's making a joke of it. In fact, the fellow behind him, every year, um, I actually host the anniversary. And uh, we've been doing it uh, at Harkins, uh, Scottsdale Harkins Shea Theater since 2005, the uh, premiere of the documentary. Uh, there has been sold out every year. And um, one of the years he came up, came up to me, as did Alice Cooper, that's a whole other story, was a witness. Um, but he came up to me, the fellow with the glasses, and he said, uh, remember the guy in the glasses with lines, <laughs> the, the guard? I said, yeah. He said, well, that was me. He says, I've never been so embarrassed in my entire life when he brought out this aide with the alien head costume. I mean, that really um, was, you know, really shameful uh i have to say for the people who saw the real deal um although he said there was panic there was no panic in fact i can say right now there has not been one not one credible report of harm threat or abduction associated or missing people which one movie did as you know based on the phoenix lights um associated with the phoenix lights phenomenon can't speak about other things but I can about the Phoenix Lights, which is being confirmed in our study as well. And I'll get I'll get into that in a minute. Um, if anything, people were in awe and in wonder. Um, it, it, I still have people telling me that they felt blessed that they had the experience in 1997. I mean, this is 27 years later. <laughs> um, in any case, in any case, and let me see what's the, the next slide. I have to just take a peek here. Um, Okay. Yeah. And after that. And when, wait. Oh, yeah. There was there was so much hoopla on Larry King and, and et cetera. I mean, it was just amazing after the USA Today article came out. But that month after the, uh, the governor pulled that, I figured, you know what? I'm calling every military base. Didn't give them any details, but I wanted to see what they would say. And I told them that, you know, we had seen something and I got uh, some photographs of it. They wanted to meet with me, but that was out. Um, but they had no idea either. They were just as curious. In fact, I, I even wrote in my book, one of the higher ups, I got as high up as I could, said, wait, keep it, keep go back. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the higher ups even said, um, uh, whoever did this, the only people that know who did this was God and whoever did it. I was like, are you kidding me? That's your answer. <laughs> At any rate, I get a call. Okay, we're going to get to the next slide in a sec. I got a call a month after this press conference, July 24th, 
from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. And she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled. I was looking for any logical explanation. She says, do you believe that in all these months, no one ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard and the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird, which I found later in military terms means diversionary tactical maneuvers. So they may have been sending off flares somewhere to divert attention, but that certainly isn't what thousands and thousands of people saw right above their heads. And she says, that must be what some people saw. So I said, now, wait a minute, when was the Maryland Air National Guard in town? She says, March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She said, oh no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, my husband and I saw the same exact phenomena in the same exact location. Not only did I get pictures of it, but I called around the next morning and found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport in January and the morning after the mass sighting, who confirmed it was the same exact phenomena over class B restricted airspace at thousand feet altitude. And she says, you never told me that because I never gave him details. Mm -hmm. I said, besides, and I educated myself to what flares do by then. And I said, besides military illumination flares are dropped from uh, the aircraft on a parachute. They drop haphazardly in seconds. They have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself, and they illuminate the area around it. That's what they're meant to do so that, you know, whatever missiles are coming will hit them instead of the aircraft. I said, you're trying to tell me <laughs> that flares that cannot keep a formation for more than a few seconds, if not minutes, traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equidistantly spaced, mile-wide V for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you while well, I'm still waiting. Guys. Yeah, I honestly think the flares were an attempt to muddy the waters. Well, of course, but I'll show you in the next slide, if you'll let me. Of course. There we okay. go. It's, okay. So, so just to be clear, so we can extinguish the flare theory. And there's still some people that feed <laughs> into the flare theory, which is, you know, if it gives them comfort, Go, so be it. <laughs> but look at the data. That's all I say. Just look at the data and then decide for yourself. The top level is the true unknowns, okay? And pictures that I've had of the true unknowns. And actually, one of them is from Stephenville as well that had a very similar sighting to ours with these orbs. Um, the middle one to me is like the best picture I ever took, which is, there's a whole story to that. We won't have time to get into that. I took one month after 9-11, which I have it in my book. And actually that's the, the picture that I use for um, my book cover and, and so forth. And the negatives that are next to that one, you can see them turning. You can actually see the tail turning on, on I'd like somebody to tell me what that is. Anyway, the bottom are flares. That's nothing, nothing like the true unknowns. So that that pretty much, you know, put the nail in the coffin because three years later, and this is really important for people to know. And if you go to the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network website and scroll down to a block that says AZ Family, they were there to watch this. Three Air National Guards announced right before the third anniversary that they were coming into town to show everyone, I think they were from New York, Michigan, and California, if I'm correct, to show everyone the Phoenix Lights. They must have been practicing for weeks. <laughs> um, and talk about a joke. 
They tried to make a triangle. It was upside down. It fell apart immediately. Uh, one of them just fizzled out immediately. And huge smoke trails, just what flares do. To this day, Dolly and Preston, the Phoenix lights have never been recreated or explained, but continue to appear worldwide. And if you go to the next slide, right after the 10th anniversary, for whatever reason, our former governor, who mocked the sighting in 97, came forward to disclose, bravely disclose that he actually witnessed one of these massive over mile wide craft. And as a military, awarded military pilot, not only was it definitely not flares, he saw a craft, but in his own words, and, and it's amazing that he used a word that is used worldwide by other countries. It was otherworldly. That's the word he used. And I think that there's, we can play, do we have time? How much time do we have left? We have about 20 minutes, 25. Okay. Um, so, okay, if you want to show this so you can see what he- We have 30 minutes said. to sign up. Okay, if you want to, if we can show, show this video. Um, this is, is when he is, came forward, if you can show it. Uh, is this a video right here or is it the yes. next? No, that video, that's a video. This one is okay. No, the one below him, yeah. I don't. I'm not showing that this no, is a no, video. No. Okay, that's okay. Um, the next one, then. The next one is when he said, um, "You could just tell it was otherworldly." That's his own words. Wow. And the next one. All right. This is what he saw. If we can play this one, this is actually what he okay. what he saw, and this is on the gap page. Yeah, let me just see if I can pull get to this one. No, for whatever reason, this does not seem to be a video. It's it started. Well, anyway, it is. We have it on. We have it on the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network oh, website. Right. If anybody wants to watch okay. it. Oh gosh, darn it! And this is also on the uh, gap page, geospatial animation project. There it is. Point. This is a Jurassic Week. It was first reported near Carefree around 8.15 and was the last reported near Sky Harbor at 8.40 p.m. The path of the craft has been pieced together by combining reports of similar objects. We begin with a view from the intersection of Lone Pine and Scottsdale Roads, two miles away from the craft as it covers a thousand meters over Lone Pine and Pima. The craft, depicted as two miles when tip to wingtip, proceeds east down Lone Pine Road. The view moves to the intersection of Joe Max and Tatum Roads, three miles south of the next sighting at 8.26 p.m. at the intersection of Lone Pine and Cave Creek Road. At this point, the object began a heading change and turned to the south. At 8.28 p.m., a report from a material site on the East Cave Creek Road put the craft halfway through the turn. This view is to the west from a point above Joe Max and Tatum, roughly three miles from the center of the craft. At 8.30 p.m., Max and Charlotte Saracen reported the craft near Crave Creek and Pinnacle Peak Roads. This report included UFO occupants seen in the windows of a triangle, which they described as at least two miles wide. At 8.35 p.m., the craft was observed from the intersection of North 32nd Street and East Shade Boulevard, proceeding south towards Squaw Peak, where it was last seen entering the Phoenix Metropolitan Valley. At 8.37 p.m., the craft was observed by Terry Mansfield and members of her hospice group on the south side of Squaw Peak. The next vantage point is the first publicly shown recreation of what then-Governor Fife Symington would have seen as the object flew over Squaw Peak. 
day 40 p.m., the craft was reported from 36th Street in East Washington, where it hovered short of the northern edge of the airport perimeter. The final view is a recreation of what the tower crew would have seen had they been looking due north. Some reports have this craft departing directly vertically, a truly astounding conclusion to a truly astounding series of observations. Wow. And Larry Lowe, who actually illustrated the other uh, craft as well, did an amazing, amazing job. And uh, Michael Tanner did the information gathering. I mean, it was an unbelievable 12 year study um, that actually concluded, uh, you know, this, this was amazing that, uh, you know, that they were able to gather all that information and that Larry was able to illustrate it for us all to see. Um, and by the way, uh, and in the next slide, um, that private pilot that called into the tower on approach to Sky Harbor Airport came forward shortly after the 19, uh, I'm sorry, the 2017, I believe, uh, New York Times article that divulged the Pentagon study of UFOs and Harry Reid's $22 million study. And it was none other than Kurt Russell, um, <laughs> who actually was reporting the sighting. He was seeing, you'll, you'll hear it right now if we can get that going. Oh, he okay. Was, uh, actually reporting. No, not happening. Give me a second. Well, I'm, he, I'm, I'm, I'm dead set on getting this to work. I don't know why it's not. Here, let me, let and me that also it. is on the, the news page. Uh, and I think on the home page as well on our Phoenix Lights Network website, if oh, there uh, we go. anyone cares to take a peek. Can you get it? Who knows? Because this is an international story. Because of you both being here, I looked into the international files, not covered by our Ministry of Defense, but maybe covered by yours. This took place in Arizona. An unidentified pilot, according to the press cuttings, flying near an airport in Arizona with his son when he spotted six lights in the night sky. So he called from the airplane to air traffic control to say, I'm seeing these lights here. I wasn't expecting any other planes. They're none supposed to be on my landing path. Can you tell me what's going on? They said, there are no other planes. He said, I'm seeing six bright lights coming towards me. Mystery unresolved. Except I'll tell number for that plane was Bonanza 2 Tango Sierra and I was the pilot. No, no. way. Oliver and I. Stopped and I started watching, and it was on that event. Now that was the most um, 
that was the most viewed UFO event. Over 20,000 people oh, saw that. Huh? And I'm watching this, and I f I'm feeling like uh, Richard Dreyfus in, in uh, <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Count. It's like, why, why do I know this? You know, what? And it's not clear to me. And finally, I said, then they said the pilot reported it, a general aviation pilot reported it on landing. I had never thought of it since then, and I said, that was me. I, that was me. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. I'll go to my logbooks. So I went to my logbooks, and there was the flight at that time, and I didn't mention anything about the UFO. The fascinating part of that to me is that it just went literally out of my head. Yeah. And I, Oliver never mentioned it. And had I not seen that show, I'd have never thought of it again. Now, that to me was the weird part. Believe it now, Chris? Yes. Yes. It's just unidentified. It's they, flying uh, and it's, and it's an object. It's yeah. an object. Yeah. Right. Moving towards you at this. We need to move on. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so the so the uh, psychiatrist that was coming up with his family wasn't the only one. There were there were a number of people that it just affects everyone differently that actually got telepathic messages. His wife got a telepathic message and others just, it was out of their mind, whether they couldn't deal with it or um, they call it ontological shock. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's pretty so common. Their, yeah. I hear that yeah. all the time when I interview people, but it happened uh -huh. to me after a missing time sighting. I had the same, really? it left my mind for, I don't know, months. There know. you go. There you go. But what, what was really interesting, too, um, which I mean, there's so much more to the story, but uh, one of the most significant things, and like I said, half my book is about this, is that a number of people now, first of all, how it affected people in real time and long term is really important because um, at the time, the about six months before the movie Independence Day was really popular and we're so inundated with threat, threat, threat and harm, harm, harm that, um, you know, how are we supposed to react when we see something that we're supposed to fear coming towards us, right? And kids would jump up, Independence Day, Independence Day. But as it got closer, a calmness came over everyone, a connectiveness to the phenomenon that they wanted to run after it or have their parents get in the car and chase it. I mean, it was just incredible when you when you look at the data and long term, some people went into the environmental movement, the peace movement. Um, it changed people forever. It really woke people up. And what was also significant is that a number of people, including the two that saw the the um, uh, the two that were out in the uh, uh, area, the realtors that saw the stakes in the ground and the psychiatrist had had near-death experiences as children and others that was reawakened by the Phoenix Lights mass sighting. And that really hit me hard because I did too when I was eight years old. We went out of time to get into it, but I lay it all there's, out there in the book. Definitely a spiritual <laughs> aspect to all of this. So oh yeah. Well that that's the thing. I you know when I started looking, I thought, whoa, and again, it's not about me, it's about the data. And I thought, well, could there be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena, Dolly doesn't want to talk about, <laughs> have a mystical light associated with the experience. And lo and behold, again, I had, I had no idea. I started looking and I found the Omega Project by Dr. Kenneth Ring at the University right. of Minnesota, about this thick. 
and Dr. John Mack at the uh, at, at Harvard University Pulitzer Prize winner. In fact, my very first interview was with him, John Mack, Dr. John Mack, a month before I came forward in 2004 at the Tucson Medical Center. I was really nervous because I don't get into abduction. To me, this is all contact. And um, he was you. so thrilled <laughs> that I can that I conceded to, to, to lecture, you know, to present before him because my data actually confirmed his data that something was going on, right? And uh, and he was writing, we talked afterwards because I was really nervous. I did a lot of soul searching um, before I came forward. I mean, I, I went back to work to help put our younger son through medical school was the only one that read my 750 page journal. He's a neurologist now and looked at me and said, mom, you have to do this. This is too important not to share. And everything you've done has led up to this from the mountain names. But, you know, then I thought, you know, how can I stick it in a drawer in good conscience? I mean, I had so much incredible data and um, including the fact that when I looked at the connection between all unexplained phenomena, not only was the experience, I lay out very simply in the book, the experience was so similar of all unexplained phenomena, but most profound and poignant was the after effect, the awakening, the yeah. enlightenment, the connectiveness to the universe and to the earth and to each other that really woke up, as you mentioned, Preston, a, a spiritual awakening that changed our worldview forever. And the, the message over and over again with all unexplained phenomena, by the way, um, and I started calling them all an up because they are an up because of the positive transformation, <laughs> was wake up to what you're doing to yourselves and your planet before it's too late. And if that's not a reason to come forward as a scientist, as a physician, uh, to let people know they're not crazy, and also that it's important to share when people uh, and, and we found that out with our study, that some people can't talk about it. They're afraid to talk about it still with their family or whatever to get ostracized. It festers. It's not healthy. And I invite people to go on the website, contact me there, go on Facebook, Phoenix Lights Network. Um, just sharing with one person is cathartic. It's healing. Yeah. And certainly as an experiencer, I know how that feels, right? And as an educator, uh, ultimately, I came out with the first edition of the book, if you want to show, you know, that, that cover. And there's so much more in there that we would have time to discuss, <laughs> including my own near-death experience, which is quite riveting in and of itself. Um, and, uh, and then after I came forward with the book, finally in 2004, I was inundated with requests to do a documentary and so wanted to because, uh, you know, have the people speak for themselves. And uh, I started, uh, I was approached by a fellow that actually graduated from Books Institute of Photography. The dean there was one of the people that took interest in my photographs as well. And um, and he just said, "I'm." Yeah, his parents lived here. He said, I'm bringing my equipment, we're gonna start filming. Mm -hmm. And we started filming, it was so overwhelming. By June, I had to figure out, you know, what am I gonna do? And, and I left the Arizona Heart Institute. I was chief clinical consultant of the Wellness and Imaging Center, the heart test, which I loved. And um, we, it finally came, came out in 2005 and we've updated that as well. Um, people can get the DVD only from, uh, from me now, actually, they don't get DVDs anymore. Um, if they're interested, the bonus features are tremendous. We have the coincidences, um, which are 
mind-boggling in itself on March 13th, we have a 93-year-young um, French pilot who has since passed who uh, actually reported Foo Fighters, the same exact phenomena. If we have time, we can get into the history because the vast history of these phenomena, but I do in the book, um, of these orbs around their aircraft, and he tells his story. Um, we also have a pilot that worked with flares uh, in Vietnam and so forth, and a commercial pilot that, you know, says it definitely, well, he was a witness as well. It definitely wasn't flares. Um, and uh, so, you know, if anybody is interested, it's streaming on Amazon, uh, as well, Amazon Prime, as well as, I think you can watch it free uh, on Hulu um, and a number of other places. So I hope people uh, go there. It's a real grassroots effort. It's won over a dozen international film festival awards. We're so proud of that, um, but it's real grassroots. So they can hear it from the witnesses and the experts themselves. And then my latest uh, endeavor, because I am an educator, uh, I wanted to get something together for all ages that um, would not only be for teachers in the classroom, and I worked with teachers to get this together as well as it does, does the illustrator, um, some wonderful, wonderful people, uh, Mark and um, David and, and uh, Kate, um, to get something that it's 160 pages that is filled with wow. information, not only about the Phoenix Lights, it's really fascinating. Anybody that, you know, when I'm at a conference, anybody that picks it up, it's like, well, I, I, I can't keep it in my hand. It's hard to visualize, but it is offered on, on Amazon. Um, it's amazing. It's it's the true story of the Phoenix Lights. It's a, the graphic novel adventures of Sue F.O. Fields Observer and Hugh H. <laughs> Hugh F.O. He's a little alien. And we, we talk about a sighting uh, the kids saw out in the football field and then Sue goes to school the next day. And we have all sides. I give the skeptic side, too. And uh, she gets really into it, and the teacher um, advises her to go to the history museum and see if there's any history. And I, I have iconic pictures in there um, as well, and some of my own. But then um, also, uh, she then goes to the, and she meets up with with, uh, with you uh, at the science museum, and we have 80 crop circles to color as well. In fact, I might have, I don't know if I can, if you can see this, but. I mean, it's, I don't know if you can see it. There, hold on, let me, let me there. I'm just going to give you a uh We have the, the 10 craft, and we have 80 crop circles. We have, and I try to take the most ornate that could not be done by humans. And then we have um, activities as well. And we have the answers, and we have all different levels. So, um, so we can have the... Uh, teachers and parents and uh, grandparents do it with their kids so they can all learn and, and expand their knowledge together of um, not only the Phoenix Lights, but of the topic itself. So, um, and then uh, we have our study, if you wanted to do the next uh, slide. Mm -hmm. If anyone goes to the Phoenix Lights Network website, on the landing page, there's a triangle. And right underneath the triangle, that you can either enter the website, which I hope that you do, because there's a lots and lots to consider and consider. Um, but right underneath there is the link. And if you have had an experience similar to the Phoenix Lights, whether it's orbs or um, craft or whatever, 
um, please join us in our study. We have close to 2,000 people uh, now in just over a year um, from all over the world. I mean, people are seeing this all over the world. And the, you know, first of all, it's totally anonymous. Once you're in there, we don't even, you know, have your IP address. So it's totally anonymous. We want people to be honest about their experience. Yeah, I took it. And, it was all, all kinds of fun. It's definitely worth oh, checking out. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, good, 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 good. And and the findings. Oh my goodness, we are finding, and I'm not going to give a lot away, but I'll give you a little a little <laughs> taste because we're just getting the other peer review now, and and then we'll get the information out there. I'll keep you posted so you can let your your audience know about it. But um, not only are we finding that uh, people worldwide that have had similar experiences to the Phoenix Lights are also having experiences before, during, and after uh, with beings. I mean, some, you know, the majority are seeing light beings and uh, these orbs that they feel are being just like the Native Americans feel that there, there is some kind of being in there, whether it's ancestors or um, spirits. Um, and some are seeing real <laughs> real beings, <laughs> different kinds of beings, and also which blew us away. Uh, not only that it's, the, the mass sighting itself was much more far-reaching than any we even thought, because we're having people from Texas and Utah, Utah and Colorado also that experienced the same thing during March 13th. Um, but that there are a number that have been taking aboard a craft that remember it vividly. It's not like a dream or they hypnotized. They remember it vividly. Um, so we're, get, we're finding all kinds of really juicy stuff that um, you know I can't wait to share and I'll, I'll keep you posted with that. And we'll also keep you posted on the Phoenix Lights Network website, but there is so much more to this story. So I do hope people will pick up, uh, pick up the book if they can. It's at most libraries and um, it's in its fourth edition now. And I always recommend the ebook only because it has color pictures and live links. I'm an educator. I want people to, if they're interested, to go off and, and learn some other things that they care to. Um, so, you know, and certainly the website itself, Phoenix Lights Network website, um, has lots to see. So, um, you know, I always say keep looking up, and now the audience knows <laughs> it's a double entendre, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like that phrase, keep looking up. <laughs> awesome. Well, geez, Dr. Lynn, that's amazing. I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about. We have still a good five or 10 minutes to answer a few questions. I'm not sure we'll be able to get to a good number of them, <laughs> but is it all right if I pop up a couple of them? Oh, absolutely. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> awesome. Okay. I, I surrendered <laughs> as you'll read in the book. It's like right. wherever this takes me. And it's such a joy to be with you and your audience today. This one is actually addressed to Dolly, but I think all of us might have an opinion on this. Yeah. Do you know why they made this showing? Um, let's let's keep it short, too, because there's a lot of it's questions. Well, obvious. <laughs> Dr. Lynn, you but know. But I'll answer it anyway. Okay. Um, you know, whoever did this, and people ask me all the time, I don't know who did this, but I, I don't know what they were, but I know that they were. And again, that it's time to get this topic out in the open and address it and accept it and study it so we can find out not only who's driving these things, but also move forward in our own evolution. We are just right at the precipice of realizing that the universe is teeming with life and that they're here as well, whether it's interdimensional, interstellar, intrastellar, time travelers, um, all those possibilities. But whoever did this, the Phoenix Lights, obviously wanted to wake us up 
to their presence in a very gentle and uh, non-threatening way. Again, there isn't one credible report of harm, threat, or reduction associated with the Phoenix Lights phenomenon. I can't speak for others, but I can for the Phoenix Lights. And so whoever did this really wanted to wake us up to their presence in a, in a dramatic but very gentle way. And the Phoenix Lights, and we're finding this out in the study as well, and I'm seeing it with all the witnesses, touch people one person at a time. Whoever ready for it, whatever <laughs> you want to do with it. But it is touching people, even people watching today. Trust me, <laughs> the Phoenix Lights has touched your life. And you'll start thinking about it. And just like myself, I mean, I just felt an urgency not only to share, but to learn more about it. I wanted to learn more about what is going on. And so whoever did this really, you know, set that stage to wake us up to their presence and also that we are spiritual beings, which so much more potential that we're not realizing. We have been put in a little reality cube. And the Phoenix Lights, if you really appreciate the experience, and anybody that's had an up experience appreciates that there is so much more out there to learn and to grow. And in this wondrous universe, and we have so much potential as human beings to make this world a better world. And that was one of the other reasons I came forward because that message is so, so important. And I hope people take heed and I hope that things start turning around and um, that, it, that it starts waking people up to you know, what we really need to do to make this a better world. I love your excitement. Mm -hmm. um, you have been given a great opportunity um, you don't know anything about me, so I'm going to introduce myself to you real quick before we hang up. Um, my, I am a fully conscious contactee. I have been my entire life. My father was a contactee. I have had full, physical, ongoing, multiple experience with ET. I've been educated by them. I can actually fly one of the craft. I have multiple uh, witnesses. She's the real deal. I'm she's, the got, real deal. she's got photographs. And I can't wait to hear all about it when we have time. <laughs> questions. And I want to fill you in about a lot of stuff because you're seeking. I can tell that you want to know the answers and I will be glad to talk with you and let's, let's compare notes. Okay. For um, sure. It's, sure. it's definitely, but like I said, your excitement about this is incredible and it, it's, it's um, explosively going out and that's a good thing. Okay. It's an absolute good thing because ET's number one message to humanity is exactly you said it multiple times. Wake up. They say that you are us, we are you, and we are all one. That is their main message to humanity. They are kind, they're loving, they're here to gently bring us into the future, our future, and they want us to work together and they want us to realize our ability and our potential. And that's the most important thing. And you speak it so eloquently. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And if anybody's out there and near uh, Phoenix, um, the weekend after the, the uh, mass sighting on the 13th, on the 15th and 16th, I can't divulge yet. I'm getting it. It's in the works. We have a new venue that is, talk about exciting. 
um, but I will be posting it. Uh, we're, we're getting things together this week um, and we'll show the documentary. We have speakers, we have a Q&A. Um, it's really exciting so that, like you said, Dolly, so others will be drawn in and, and be educated. And it's a choice. Exactly, it's yes. a choice. Absolutely. But there is so much data to look at now. Right. The we data speaks for itself. We need to choose for ourselves and to learn for ourselves. That's the reason we're all here in the first place. You're a physician. You know this very well. We have to heal ourselves. We have to learn to seek truth. We have to learn to be well ourselves and then push out with it and help everybody else with it as well. And it is so important that we all work on this together. And information is our best tool. Education is our best tool. Love is the third best tool. It works it all together. And that's what ET is all about. So I'm, I'm going to follow around you a little bit and hope. Uh, uh, like I said, I want you to wait till after the show. I got a couple of things I want to show you or tell you, okay, if you've got the time. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and like I said, I hope others will join in, join us on Facebook, on the Phoenix Lights Network page. Right. And we also have a Phoenix Light group page where they can share their own stories, which is really important. It's, it's important, so cathartic, right? isn't it, Dolly, when you, when you get it out there. And and uh, certainly being around like, like minds uh, helps. Um, but there are so many people I am so, it, it's almost joyful now that we are so much more able to talk about this, get Absolutely. it out there already. And, um, you know, and just, you know, move forward, move forward in our own evolution. That's where we got to go now, forward. That's right. And on that note, <laughs> I'm, I wish we could have had more time to answer some of these questions. Back, we're right? we're going to open this up again, right? I will give you a date. We'll meet again. Not a date. Okay. Well, you're talking to us on the light gate and Dr. Lynn Kitai has been our guest and a wonderful guest and we hope you all enjoyed the show. And if you want to go back and listen to it again so that you can get more information from her about where she's at and what's going on with all of this and all the other information she gave, please watch it again. Uh, we're coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans in Louisiana at the United Public Radio Network at 107.7 FM and the UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. Lovely, lovely night. This is a great night. Mm -hmm. And I want you all to go be fruitful, be happy, be in joy, be in peace. We love you. Mwah. We'll see you Thank next time. Thank you, Monday. everyone. Great night.